Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every petulant, supernaturally powerful teenager, stubborn skeptic, over-obsessive fangirl, and transcultural pantheon is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Michael. And I'm Mandy. And uh, today we're pretty excited to talk about uh, The Wicked and the Divine. Which is Um, a comic book. Yes, it is a comic book. It is a very good comic book. Do you want to go ahead and intro it? Sure. So um, The Wicked and Divine is a ongoing uh, author or creator-owned comic book by uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. So creator-owned means uh, it's not Marvel or DC. They publish it through Image, so they retain all intellectual property rights. Um, And... uh, it's uh, it's original, you know. I, I know people think comic books and they think superheroes. And while I suppose gods aren't that different from superheroes, on the one hand, on the other hand, it's more like a high fantasy in the modern day. Uh, so uh, even if you don't like superhero comics, this might be something that interests you. Yeah, it's barely got... Uh, superhero comics. I mean, I, I suppose it has some references and stuff, but uh, yeah. Um, each of the, uh, I mean, I really actually like the the short blurb that's at the beginning of each issue, as well as on the back of the hardcover. Um, do you want to read that off, or if you don't have it on hand, I can. No, I have the hardcover right in front of me. So uh, the blurb is: every ninety year, every ninety years, twelve gods return as young people. They are loved. They are hated. In two years, they are all dead. It's happening now. It's happening again. So I love that. Uh, It sets the tone well. Um, Yeah. Gods are real. uh, And people know that it happens periodically. And I suppose the impression... And yet not everyone believes. Not everyone believes. And if you really think about it, um, you know... Not everyone believes because the if you think about it, ninety years ago it was before mass media, really like the you know mass verifiable media and the way that we have it now. I mean, you know, you're talking almost no one who was alive then is alive at the next recurrence, right? Right, exactly. Ninety years is is a long time. (laughs) Several generations have gone by. Um, So yeah, um, I we can go ahead and just talk about initial impressions and what we like about it. we, we will stay spoiler-free for a little bit before we kick into into talking about the first 11 issues. So so I found The Wicked and Divine uh, before issue one, if you will, because I was reading uh, the Young Avengers run that Gillen and McKelvey were writing. And as they were closing that out, a lot of people were like, well, what are you guys doing next? And they were taking advantage of the fact that they had a standard a a stable fan base from one of the big two. And they said, Hey, this is what we're doing next. We're doing the wicked and the divine. And all they gave us to tell us what it was about was a picture of, uh, it's that picture in the, the snow with, uh, Laura and Lucy, Michael with, uh, I'm trying to describe it. It may not be (laughs) snow. It's like glass. Anyway, it's very weird looking, uh, uh, there's a character who has like wings made out of blood and another who has like a halo made out of blood. And I was like, I have no idea what this is. And I don't know if I'm going to like it. But since two writers who I liked were, or two creators who I liked were involved in it, I was like, I'm going to give it a chance because what does getting an issue number one hurt? 
And so that's how I got into The Wicked and the Divine. I think I actually pre-ordered it before it was out because I was like, why not? Um, and even on the first issue, I wasn't necessarily convinced, but I... Though I was the first couple of pages, which we were talking about, was almost enough to be like, I'm in this forever because uh, I really am into high fantasy. But I think it was like after the second issue, I was like, yep, yeah, definitely. I'm here. This is interesting and I want to keep going. Um, so when I started reading, I had no idea what this comic was about at all, uh, which I know is different for you, Michael. <laughs> well, no, when I initially read it, I didn't know either, um, but it had been a while. Like I, I had... Generally, I, I mean, I can't read every single comic that people recommend. I knew that you had started, vaguely heard about it, but I started reading it when a podcast I listened to, I guess we both do, The Incomparable, they were doing an episode of this, and so I was like, okay, well, I guess I need to go ahead and read it. So I picked up the all 11 issues, and I picked up individual issues instead of the trades um, digitally and in order to be able to listen to this podcast episode that I really wanted to, and started reading it. Felt a little... I don't know, lukewarm on it. The art was really pretty. That kept me going. And I, I mean, I'm willing to read things that I think are fine. And it wasn't actually until we the last issue that we're going to talk about today that really, that's when it grabbed me and hooked me. And I actually, before I even stopped to listen to the podcast episode that I had, uh, had queued up, I ended up reading everything up to that point, which was an additional seven or eight issues at that point. Um, so, So yeah, but I actually just had been lucky and didn't know anything about it until I picked it up and then started to pick it uh, go up. So I guess the general premise we, we mentioned was um, the that every 90 days, a pantheon of gods, 12 gods come back and they come into young people. Um, and interestingly enough, and we don't know if this is true of previous pantheons, but they all take on the characteristics of musicians, essentially. So um, you definitely have like a... Um, you have somebody who is clearly inspired, heavily inspired by Daft Punk. You've got some, some uh, Prince and um, uh, what's his name, David Bowie, and so on. And it's uh, it, the whole comic, like aesthetically, is about fandom and celebrity and uh, that sort of thing, and and essentially worship, uh, like worshiping people. And it's fascinating. Um, and aesthetically, is just really pretty. Uh, and does a lot of really interesting things in terms of style. I mean, do you have any favorite things that it does for you in terms of, in general, in terms of style? Well, I, I want to say, even though it's about kind of this like pop star mentality, as someone who knows next to nothing about music, and you're lucky I can name maybe two David Bowie songs, maybe. <laughs> uh, and, you know, someone had to tell me that one of the gods was like Kanye West. And I was like, really? Wait, what does Kanye West look like? Like, that was me. Uh, so <laughs> if you're not someone who knows a lot about music, there's still something in this comic for you. Because for me, the aesthetic that really pulled me to it is the high fantasy in modern day. Because the idea of reoccurring gods who come back is a very high fantasy type thing. And there's some high fantasy stakes alluded at, like light versus darkness, uh, and that's really what uh, draws me in. While, while I definitely enjoy the fandom kind of analysis, uh, because I am a member of fandom, I don't really know anything about modern, or that's not, pop uh, or rock music. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so to me, the thing that kept me reading was the first couple of pages, which... 
I guess, super minor spoiler, because we're not in spoilers yet, our one of the, is the previous reoccurrence. So they give you this hint of what's happened before, and then they bring you forward to now. And to me, that was like, oh, wait, this really is like a high fantasy, like they keep coming back thing. So even though yeah. I wasn't 100% hooked at that point, that was enough for me to keep me in. And, and to add on to what you said, it's absolutely true. Knowing, like having knowledge about pop and the pop world is not important. That's more of a just sort of fun trappings that they clearly did a lot of research and took a lot of inspiration from in order to add some, uh, just add some meat to the presentation. But really the important part is if you think about the, the, the general conceit of our entire podcast and how we intro it is we talk about how stories are important to our lives, you know, and, and so the discussion of fandom and society and how we, address the stories of people around us in our, in our world. Like that's the thing we can all relate to whether or not, not we know a particular group of fandom or anything like that. Like we, we all know how we react and how other people around us react to various things that we're interested to, or they're interested to. And we've all rolled eyes at teenagers doing crazy things and, you know, and thinking, uh, irrationally highly of celebrities. And, uh, and at the same time, you know, there've been times where we have been a, a little bit guilty of that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that's all it, you know, that's kind of the valuable thematic element. The pop trappings are just a way to, to ground it in things that some people are familiar with. And if you get the references, awesome. And if you don't, it doesn't make it any less great as a comic. And uh, so Jamie McKelvey is the artist, and I know you'd, you'd mentioned earlier that the art is great, and it, and it is. Um, it's a very, I think, <laughs> to a certain extent, Jamie McKelvey has actually described himself as a pop artist. Um, <laughs> in, in the sense, this is not high art, I guess. Um, when I think of comics that I think about opening and just looking at a page because they're beautiful, I think of, you know... A, a, uh, Phil Noto, I think about, uh, oh, what's her name? Tula. Uh, she actually does a Wicked and Divine one, but after the 11 we're talking about. Uh, um, let me, I have it right here. Tula Lote, like, I love her art. I have no idea if that's how you pronounce her name. Um, but Kieran McGelvey's art is still, it's still good, and it's not, it's not over the top in that, you know, over-exaggerated comic book way that makes me uncomfortable where everyone has like over-exaggerated figures and like, you know, Captain right. America has like a 12 pack. It's certainly not like that. These people look like teenagers, though attractive teenagers because they are, you know, gods. So they're more beautiful than like your average teenager. Um, and uh, it's just a very... I don't want to say realistic because that's not necessarily true either. Because if his blood was more realistic, I'm not sure I'd be able to read it. <laughs> uh, but it, it's still, it's just really well done. I really enjoy Jamie McKelvey's art. Yeah. And, uh, and to go along too is he does a lot about um, kind of changing style or there's, there's a lot in terms of changing style because if you think about it, each of the, each of the gods has their own mm -hmm. feel. And as such, they're presented differently, pretty stark contrast. And a lot of the time, the art style within an issue will change a little bit here and there. Um, because issues, uh, one of the neat things artistically that I like, uh, there are several things I like that they do to bookend each issue. And for the first 11 issues, each cover is a different person in the Pantheon. 
Um, it's the face of a different person in the Pantheon. And that generally is the person that you learn a bunch about in that issue. Yeah. And it's very like front face, like Taylor Swift on Time Magazine style. Yes. Right. Um, in addition, there are a lot of little smaller touches that I really enjoy. So uh, at the beginning of each issue, there's a circle of logos representing the Pantheon and their current status. And so, again, this is not a spoiler because it's the first thing you see when you open the first page. Uh, um, But you see a circle representing the old 1930s Pantheon, and you see a bunch of skulls, um, and then I think four logos that are not skulls. And you quickly find out that it's because all but four of that Pantheon are dead. And I really... Go ahead. I, I really enjoy, like, the first time I realized that, like, I know in the first one we saw the skulls and stuff, but the first time I really realized it was changing was uh, how they changed Lucifers over acro- yeah. across several issues. And we'll um, talk and about that. When we'll we talk get about that later. But you'll see, like, looking at that can tell you the status of the characters in the issue almost as well as any summary page can. Um, and so additionally, if you're going to go out and you want to read this, there's a, a beautiful hardcover um, that both Mandy and I have purchased that so covers lovely. exactly this set. Uh, of it, it covers exactly this story arc. Um, at the same time, though, when I was rereading, I opted to reread the individual issues anyways because I really, really liked the uh, I really liked the little bits of art that they put at the uh, at the end of uh, of each issue. And and while that's in the, I believe those are in the hardcover, aren't they? Like the, they'll have a single quote at the end of each issue from the cover. God. You know, it's not. It's and, not. Okay. And that's kind of a disappointment, actually. So so that's that's one of the things I knew when I was rereading it. I knew it was missing a couple of things, and I so I decided to reread the individual issues um, because of that. It's a really nice touch. So. If, for instance, you're not going to buy the hardcover and you're going to order this digitally, I would probably say, unless it's a massive price difference, go with the individual issues rather than the trade. Um, But the hardcover itself is really nice. So if you're willing to go with the hardcover, I mean, it's worth it. The hardcover also includes all Jamie McKelvey's notes. But if you don't buy the hardcover, those can also be found on his Tumblr. Yes. Um, So... uh, Oh, oh, one final thing, too, for anybody who hasn't read it, is we touched briefly about how they the gods come back as young people, as essentially teenagers for the most part. Um, the interesting thing about it is that the way that they're – we pretty quickly learn that they're essentially born into people who are already living teenagers. So they come back and take o- and transform these teenagers, but they still have all their memories of their human lives and families and so on. So uh, it's a really interesting – premise that if I had known about the premise ahead of time, I probably would have, I probably would have been happy to go ahead and get into reading it. Um, but I didn't know. And so now I'm lucky that I have, um, definitely I've read it to, uh, not read, recommended this to several people and they've enjoyed it. And, uh, also if it's, you know, if you haven't read it yet, if you go out and read this and the first time you read it and you're like, none of that made any sense, uh, then I recommend reading it again and or listening to this podcast and then reading it again. Because definitely the first time I read it, while there's stuff you can get, there's definitely a story. It wasn't until the second time I read it that things were like, oh, wait, (laughs) this all sets up for that. And this, oh, wait, this sentence actually makes sense. And the first time I read it, I was just like, okay, whatever. It's a weird thing people say. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely got layers. Yep. Um, So... Uh, yeah. Do you want to go ahead and 
get started on the spoiler section, or do you have anything else you'd like to highlight? Nope, I want to blow that spoiler horn. All right. Uh, spoiler horn blow inserted here that I'm not going to actually insert. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, everybody. So, yeah, from here on out, we are going to... We're, we're going to try to talk in roughly chronological order for the comic, but, you know, we're going to jump around. The assumption is that anybody listening now has heard or has read, rather, the first 11 issues of The Wicked and the Divine. If you're reading, it's a pretty apparent stopping point. So, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Mandy. Let's get let's get started. Right. So it opens up with the 1920s Pantheon. And first off, the first page alone is kind of striking because it's just like this skull. And it says, and once again, we return to this. So it kind of has like a Shakespearean feel, which to me was really interesting going in. But then these whole first couple of pages are basically the last four gods of the 1920s Pantheon sitting at this table, all kind of askance with this old lady hanging out who we don't really know who she yep. is at this point. Uh, we'll learn who she is later. Uh, but she says something that she'll say a lot in this comic, which is, I love you. I love you all. And here she says, I'll miss you. Whereas later we'll see her say, I have missed you. Um, right. But the thing that I think is really interesting about this is obviously the fact that these four kids kill each other. Uh, it's the end of the two years, as far as we can tell, right? And right. they snap, but they're very which is a standard thing we see in this comic that snapping leads to like, death. it doesn't have to lead to death, but it does a lot. Uh, so they snap at each other, which I think is to me kind of seems like they can't kill themselves or maybe like they don't want to. So they're like, Oh, I'm going to kill this person next to me. And for some reason they have to do this. Like you see them like sweating and nervous. Um, like, they don't want to, but they're still voluntarily doing this to end the cycle. And right. we don't know why. We, we don't know why they're agreeing We still to do don't this. know why. I'm going to just, yeah. spoiler, after reading everything that exists right now, I still don't know why. <laughs> yep. But one thing that I thought was really interesting on the reread of this section is one of the characters says, then goodbye, I guess. And another character responds, no, au revoir. Which, if you look it up, like, we all know au revoir means goodbye. Um, but if you actually look up what the de definition means, it basically means goodbye till we meet again. So right. it's not a goodbye forever. It's a goodbye for now. Um, so they believe they're going to come back. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that means it's because they have some knowledge of how the cycle works, or they believe they do. Mm -hmm. um, but... Yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. Um, again, uh, so one of the things too is that the very very first page with the circle logos, um, you can see that there are eight dead because of the skulls and four remain, and the line actually says once again. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that is those are the first words in the comic, and so it indicates that this is a cyclical thing, and it sets us up from the beginning to get that, which is a pretty neat way to start this. And if you look at the skulls, they kind of indicate... It's interesting to me that they have all the skulls, having read what we've read, because um, I'm just not sure head exploding... You mean the actual skulls on the, on yeah. the table? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And some of them are like, it looks like someone like sliced through the head. Others look like a gunshot. You know, some look kind of like completely destroyed, and others just look normal. So it's like, how did these people die? I don't know. Right. And I suppose they could have died violently in ways that didn't affect their heads, but... Right. Uh, uh, but yeah, so 
the short version of this is they all agree to whatever for whatever reason and the house explodes and they all die. And then the old lady is standing outside and she says, once again, we return. Return to what? Who are we? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we jump into, uh, we immediately see another logo circle and it says, uh, I think one, two, three, four, which is a very common theme. We, a lot of the time have people, uh, counting one, two, three, four, which is weird because it, does it mean that every single one of these people's powers is based on four, four time? You know, so I thought about this as I was reading it. And the only one who seems like their power was based off four, four time because she had to say one, two, three, four before she did something was Lucifer. Well, but, but I mean, we see the one, two, three, four count a lot, even if we people do. aren't doing it. So, um, yeah, it's just weird that it's never anything else, which I mean, Lucifer if nothing is the else, only just... one though, who audibly counts before she does something, which we'll talk about more later. Um, right. she audibly counts before she snaps her fingers. Um, so one another significant thing too is that uh, the last Pantheon died on December thirty first, nineteen twenty three, and this start is January first, twenty fourteen, is when we're brought in. So I mean, granted, this other Pantheon has already been going for at least a little bit, but it's not completed. Like we have an incomplete circle. Yeah. With the uh, with this new one, so that's interesting. Well, we know from later that Ragnarok seems to take place in. Oh gosh, what month is it? Uh, now I can't remember. I didn't write it down, I don't think. But it takes place in 2013 rather than 2014. Right. Well, there's I mean, two Ragnaroks. And assuming, because it's a con, to be clear, right. it's a convention. Uh, you would such think a great convention name. They take place at the same time every year, you would think. So there's the change has happened between Ragnaroks. Uh, Ragnaroks uh, in yeah. April. So, so, uh, it, so basically they came up sometime between April and December of 2013. Yes. Because by January 2014, we have how many? Seven? Nine. Eight? Nine. Yeah, you're right. There's three unknowns um, at the very start. So um, we don't know who they are yet, uh, but, you know, we're ready to find out. Um, but I mean, we, we open up. Uh, go ahead. If you know something about some mythology, you can kind of guess maybe. Like, oh, an owl. Maybe Athena. Maybe Minerva. An upside down star. But there's star. so many overlaps, especially when you have as many pantheons involved as this does. There is so much overlap in, in terms of symbols and stuff across cultures that, you know, it, it's, you're really no good. Uh, you can guess, but, you know, we'll find out later. And especially because there are some gods with the same names that have different aspects depending on the time period. Looking and at you, that's Ball. different too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, I say Ball because of Stargate SG-1, but some people say Bale, so... Do with that what you will. B-A-A-L. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Um, so, uh, but one of the one of the neat things is that this whole thing, at least especially these first 11 issues, are written through the perspective of Laura, um, which I guess she's kind of, she's our avatar, the reader's avatar um, of sorts. Yeah, she's our not God uh, right. character who is... She's our every person. <laughs> our I uber suppose. fan. Yes, um, so she's a pretty huge fan and we're introduced at, a Amaterasu's concert. I'm right? glad you can say that name because I'm just going to call her that one. Amy? Amy. We can call her Amy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll call her Amy for short moving forward, but, uh, she is, I'm not sure what, what she, I mean, she's Japanese, but I don't, 
really know what the nature of her. That's you know, all I really know is she's Japanese. She's very friendly. Uh, and uh, I think her symbol is one. Oh, gosh, I think it's the sun one. Yeah, it's the sun. She's the sun for sure. Um, I, I believe she's light related in some way, but I'm not entirely sure. Right. She definitely um, has a fire light kind of power because that's indicated later. Because uh, right. she. Yeah. Uh, so in our opening pages, though, we basically see Laura cosplaying, <laughs> yeah. uh, getting ready to in, in the bathroom to go to this basically a goddess giving a concert. Yep. Um, and this is so it's Amy's concert uh, who is, you know, she seems to have embraced this, I guess. And we find out pretty quickly that she has embraced sort of her godhood um, in the way that some others have not. But uh, she also, one of the things that's qu- uh, quickly put in is that she's, what, 17 years old, I believe? Yes, because she's legal in Britain. Right, legal in Britain. <laughs> um, and, of course, you know, obvious parallels with, you know, I guess Lord would be the pop star in the modern era who was famous at 17. Uh, and it's, and people were like, wait, she's 17? It's kind of a similar sort of thing. Um, yeah, pretty uh, pretty interesting. And at her concert we meet Lucifer who goes by Lucy (laughs) Um, and who is a girl (laughs) and who is a girl and picks Laura up. And that's an interesting thing too, is you're going to see a lot of the time the gods might be one gender historically, but they are not bound to taking on someone of the same gender. Um, So Lucy is not the only one who is a different gender um, in terms of like historically through their whatever mythology or pantheon um, versus the human that they've taken on. There's a couple of things in this uh, Lucy and Laura just uh, interaction that's like, Mm -hmm. why does Lucifer, why why is she attracted to Laura? Uh, Because it can't just be she looks, I know it's kind of indicated like, oh, I thought you were underage, but surely there are other underage people here. Um, So it can't just be that. Um, There's... uh, I don't know. I don't know. I still don't know why Lucy was attracted to Laura. I have inklings of circles of theories that um, we can talk about that have to do with a major spoiler for issue 11. Uh, but one thing that's interesting to me and things that I didn't realize until later that are early, even before Lucifer shows up is uh, Laura is talking about all the gods um, in here somewhere. Uh I can't remember where it is, but when she's talking about them, she mentions, or maybe it's Lucifer, but someone mentions Tara and it's the first time Tara is mentioned. And every time she's mentioned, they basically use the F word in front of her name. They say effing Tara. Yeah. Um, Every time. Yeah. And I, the first time I read that, I was just like, I don't know. I I don't even know what this means. It like went in my head and went out in the air. Like I didn't even think about it. And it was like on almost every issue. And later there's an issue we're not going to talk about uh, because that's after issue 11, but it was like light bulb in my head. Like, wait, now everything else that they said about this person makes sense. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff like that in here. Uh, Yeah. And there are a lot of callbacks. I mean, they're Lucy picking up Laura, just lots of other things. Like we are continually made to think, there's got to be something special about Laura, right? Like there, there's got to be like, like we're, that's deliberately sprinkled throughout, but it's also, I mean, since you shouldn't be listening to this without spoilers, uh, but it, it's kind of the, or without being okay with spoilers or without having read it, 
there's a sort of tension where it's a will she or won't she be part of the Pantheon? Like pretty early on, it's set there because you know that's what Laura wants. Mm-hmm. Is she wants to be part of the Pantheon. And there's always there's like little hints that she will and that she's special, and then little hints that no, she's really not. Well, uh, so and it goes back and forth. I want to I want to talk about this. Uh, while why is Laura why is Lucy attracted to Laura? And I think there's something we see very clear in this, though we don't realize it, is all of the death underworld gods are attracted to Laura in some way. Yes, which makes a whole lot of sense given later context. Right, and I was thinking about this. I'm like, but Lucifer. Yes, Lucifer is the devil, which is kind of the underworld, but that's very different from like Hades or the Morrigan or Baphomet, if you will. So I was like, I, I don't know how Lucifer fits with Laura, uh, but I think that's part of it, that Lucifer, despite everything, is still associated with death in a way. Yeah, I, I mean, and which does make sense, because if you're, you know, if you think in just terms of Judeo-Christian terms and you have, you know, Lucifer having dominion over those who uh, don't find salvation, you know, then, then it's kind of that, the closest thing to the underworld, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, totally a, a great point. Um, we also... But it also makes sense then... Uh, it also makes sense why Ball is attracted to her. <laughs> yeah, it does. It really does. <laughs> Which seems so opposite, but when you know who Laura is, you're like, oh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is why almost everyone likes her, right? But there's a lot of reoccurrence of the underworld and being stuck in hell or the underworld in this. So we're uh, we're also pretty quickly we're introduced to Cassandra, who is named after the you know Cassandra from mythology. Uh, who I guess for anybody who's listening and doesn't know who Cassandra was, she was gifted with foresight and also cursed with the fact that no one would ever believe any of her predictions that were accurate. So there's something I so. want to talk to you about that. Cause there's very quickly Lucifer, obviously being Lucifer, uh, right. makes an, a joke at Cassandra's expense. Yes. Uh, and I did not get that joke. Uh, not the first time for not sure. Not the first time. Cause you know, I thought the joke was when she says Cassandra, if that's your real name, I thought that was because she was making fun of that mythological connection. Right. I thought she was saying, as if you have the ability to predict the future, like you think you're so wise and all knowing, but you're not. That's what Turns I thought out. she was saying, but that's not the case. Turns out it was sex shaming because Cassandra is a trans character, is a trans woman, and, you know, therefore changed her name at some point. Um, and Lucifer and so, yeah. is just a jerk. Yeah, and Lucifer is a jerk who also likes underage girls and. And to be fair, Lucifer was also trying to defend Amy to a certain extent. And Amy is like her BFF, the only person who really cares about her. Um, But that still doesn't defend, you know, being mean to people. But she is Lucifer. So what can we expect of the devil? Well, and Cassandra (laughs) is pretty mean-spirited pretty much constantly. Like, Cassandra is the... Cassandra. (laughs) She's so cynical, skeptical, (laughs) She's so cynical despite having, you know, seeing the recurrence with her own eyes. Um, And an interesting thing we find out about her is that she actually, it's just so interesting that she actually can't experience the, like, whatever magic and and stuff that uh, the gods put out. Like, she can't. She's just immune to it. And so she's sitting here basically screaming at people, um, and you know, and we'll we'll get to There's no music. What are you dancing to? (laughs) And, of course, everybody's ignoring her because (laughs) to them there is music. So... Uh, which, of course, just plays right into Cassandra the name. Mm-hmm. Um, 
then uh, we're also introduced to Sakmet, which is who's kind of weird and pretty. She's a cat. <laughs> she's a cat. And She'd rather be a claws. cat than a girl. Yeah. Uh, she tackles people because of red pen lights. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, the whole scene is uh, so you have all these people having some conflict with each other because none of them are reasonable people, and uh, and they all get they, <laughs> they fair, get shot up. They're yep. between like fifteen and twenty five. So yeah, absolutely. You can't expect them to be reasonable, and they're re- they're they're teenagers or you know up to mid twenties, and they've been granted these you know powers of immortals and knowledge they're going to die within two years. Right. So not not a not pretty awesome. I, I not think. A, Cassandra is the only one I think who is in her mid twenties because she's graduated from college, is my understanding. Because uh, right. she mentions having a degree or having studied theology or, or something, and she just comes across as older, um, like maybe around twenty five. But everyone else is pretty much in that very much teenager under twenty range. Well, them and Ananke as well. <laughs> who's oh, clearly- Ananke, <laughs> who's clearly a young spring chicken, Michael. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, so I, I guess the remainder of like, you know, things get set into motion, things, uh, somebody shoots them up. They don't know who, and Lucifer, Lucy steps out because, you know, uh, she's sort of smiling and snaps her fingers and blows up, kills the two people who are attacking them and like shooting at these gods and stuff. And, uh, she goes to court because apparently the British legal system in this world works really, really quickly. <laughs> uh, and just like turns on a dime. She goes to court and in it, because she's, you know, busy taunting people and is Lucifer, uh, jokingly snaps her fingers and the judge in the courtroom dies. And it's pretty clear from Lucifer's reaction that Lucy did not do this. She also... Um, for what it's worth, did not count before snapping her fingers at the judge. That's and true. before killing the gunman, it can look like she didn't count because there's a couple of pages, but those pages are seconds, uh, if that much. Uh, she counts on the bottom of one page, stands up in the window, and snaps her fingers at them. Uh, right. So, and I, like I said, I don't actually know if that's important or tied to her power. It's just something or I noticed. Just a flare that she does. Right, but, on this read through. Yeah, so. Pretty, pretty interesting, and just kind of moving in into the second issue, um, you see that the logo circle has Lucy's pentagram, which is clearly Lucifer, uh, is in behind jail. bars, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Like, it's just a neat little effect, and that got me to immediately know, oh, I need to pay attention to this circle every single issue and, like, really look closely. Something that I thought was really interesting on this read-through, though, is from our understanding for Laura, the reoccurrence has not been around very long at this point, right? There's only nine of them. Amitis, Amy is considered new at this point. Uh, and it struck me on this read-through how quick the death and destruction begins. They have two years, but it's not like they wait to the end of two years and then everyone dies. Well, right. I mean, some of them start... And if you think about it, if they're how many months in, they're a few months in and not all of them are awake and they only have two years, like, you know, before going in, we didn't know that they weren't all activated at the same time. But right now we know, well, clearly they're not like some of them we just don't know about for a while. Uh, And so they slowly were being revealed. But yeah, death and destruction and they 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 really do wreak havoc on the world pretty darn quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, in this 
this one being the first time where you have like the internet and TV and radio, like those are all new things in terms of worldwide adoption. So this is basically the very first time the entire world can watch. They didn't have the radio in the twenties. I mean, they had it. They, they certainly did. I mean, we had it for the world wars, but I don't think it was the same kind of thing that we have now. I mean, you were still pretty localized uh, at the time and it was still a relatively new thing. Um, I suppose it was the closest thing we had, that and newspapers, but it was going to be slower. I mean, you were going to have shortwave and AM stuff where, you know, but you're going to be localized to your country at least. Um, so it, you couldn't change North America drastically in the space of two years if everybody was waking up in, say, the UK. Um, the way that you can here. Presumably, they could transform the entire world around them um, because people do that in real life. Without superpowers. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so yeah. issue two uh, opens with, of course, the uh, bailiff, I'm going to assume they're called the same thing in Britain, which is probably a bad assumption, uh, taking Lucifer away because she just killed a judge, presumably, accusably. Uh, and uh, right before she goes, Amy runs up to her and she says, get Ananke, and Laura hears. Um, so there's a... Uh, Laura kind of goes and does research into Ananke while watching. Uh, we meet Bale for the first time. Uh, Ball, Bale, B, yeah. whatever. Uh, <laughs> well, you can't say B because there's somebody else we're going to refer to who that's going to. Uh, probably. Like. <laughs> uh, who uh, I, we see him on the TV. And for some reason, I, I never, I didn't notice this until my second reread, which this wasn't my second. But it seems like whenever they need a spokesperson, it's pretty much Ball. And I don't know if that's because he likes to be the spokesperson. The gods, I mean, if they need a spokesperson. Or because uh, he doesn't take crap. I don't know. But he doesn't I take crap. I assume that it's because of his character. I mean, he's clearly Kanye West. And so it just sounds like, you know, he's the kind of person who can't let anything sit. Yeah. Like he's got to say things, whether he's thought it through or not, and generally has it, he hasn't. And Laura so. loves him. Then. Yes. <laughs> she, I mean, she, he's not the only god she loves. <laughs> no, no. I mean, she, she loves the entire pantheon, basically. Um, she's a, she's no, not a fangirl of any particular god or goddess. She is a fan of the entire thing. Um, yeah. And then Laura, and, being a smart cookie, uh, she uses um, Ananke's name to like, uh, trick her way into Lucifer's cell to see Lucifer. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so one thing too, just in terms of just referring back to general mythology, Ananke is like Kronos above the gods and titans in Greek mythology and is heavily tied to fate. So that tells us, a little, I mean, you know, knowing that going in, you're like, okay, well, clearly she has something to do with, and what we saw in the very few, first couple of pages is like, clearly she has something to do with the cycle and isn't bound to the same things, but is part of it in some way. Um, so it's interesting. Um, but yeah, so Laura gets her way in. Um, and we find out in this issue that Ananke is the one who informs teens there in the Pantheon and then does the transformation. Um, There's... Which, yeah, there's a couple of things in here. First off, when Laura and Lucifer are talking, Lucifer is kind of like, "Why? Why are you here?" She doesn't say that exactly, but and uh, uh, Laura basically says, um, "My future is this, or my future is nothing," and that's kind of uh, really foretelling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get the whole Lucifer uh, backstory, and Lucifer kind of explains from her perspective um, who Ananke is. And I think it's really interesting. Lucifer says at one point, um, 
Ananke tries her hardest to keep us safe and gives us the very best advice. And that, uh, it was just like a dagger in my heart reading yes. it this time. Cause I'm like, what lies? And like, I mean, maybe, I, I mean, I don't, we don't know Ananke's true motivation, right? We still don't. We still really. don't. I, having read beyond this hardback, we still don't know her motivation. Maybe she is trying their hardest to keep them and the world safe. That's one theory, right? Uh, but, Maybe she's bound by a different set of rules that right. she just has to follow. But, you know, knowing what happens to Lucifer, particularly, it, it just, Lucifer believes Ananke is going to do what's best to keep Lucifer basically alive. And that's kind of a misunderstanding of Ananke's purpose, if anyone knows her real purpose. And at the same time, we know from the previous cycle that she does talk the Pantheon into offing themselves at the end of the cycle. So, like, that is what these teens have in store for them mm-hmm. by the end. So it's, ugh. but, um, we're introduced to whether by seeing them or just names we're introduced, I think in this issue that Woden is going to be in here and he's like the proto Odin of sorts, you know, like Wednesday uh, comes from. Woden. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's all I know. Right. Um, we, you already mentioned Tara who, you know, we don't really know much about, um, there's uh, the Morgan, who is Irish and I think war-based and is generally three sisters. Um, we'll get to them later. Um, Baphomet, who is the pagan goat-headed god that we generally associate with, you know, the, like whenever you see like the goat head on a on a man and it's related to like hell and stuff like that. Is it, what is he from like the late 1800s or something? I have no idea. Anyways, yeah. Something from, I think, the either the, I want to say the 19th century, could be the 18th century. Um, yeah, so that's all. That, like, we're, we're, a lot of this stuff is sprinkled in, but one of the things, too, going back to what you just said, I, my, I saw this in my notes. Um, I really like the standard line that we find out is how Ananke introduces every single god to their powers. This is, um, you are of the pantheon, you will be loved, you will be hated, you will be brilliant. Within two years, you will be dead. And that is how they're all introduced to their powers. So all of them know going in that they will be dead within two years. And there's um, two things that are interesting about Lucifer's transformation. One, uh, everyone, when they transforms, it's like a different thing. And for Lucifer, it was fire. Uh, but we'll see later. You know, when you first read this, you're like, oh, everyone must go up in these flames and come out something else. But that's not the case. And then also when Lucifer appears, there's like, feathers around her almost like fallen like that made me think like fallen angel lucifer right right um so it, it's really also lucifer was alone when ananke approached her and there's a real theme in this comic overall of loneliness and teens i guess feeling isolated and young people and just being alone and trying to find connection so right um the end of this issue, we do get introduced to Baphomet, right? And Yeah, before we get there, though, there's another foreshadowing line in here um, that basically Lucifer lies to Laura and says she can make her a demon, which is not true, um, as far as we know. As far and, as we know. And uh, Laura asks, uh, why me? And uh, she responds, because Lucifer is in hell and you're the only one who came. And I was just like, foreshadowing. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of time of Laura spending time in uh, hell, if we'll say. Not, not, yeah, not literally. Yeah, she did a but. lot of drop of going through the subway <laughs> to, to, to get to hang out with the various hell gods that we've got. 
Um, but yeah, so at the end of it, we are introduced to Baphomet, who appears with the Morrigan's head in his hand. Yep. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. And that's the end of the issue. But then you look at the new issue, and the circle doesn't have, like, another skull on there. No, so, but Baph- uh, at the end of that issue, Baphomet's circle appears, right? He wasn't right. there before, and there's, like, flames around it. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so, going into the next issue, we find out pretty quickly that the Morgan is not dead, um, and that she has three different aspects that she rotates through through this, the three sisters. So there's uh, the Morgan, Bad B, uh, and uh, what is it, Anan? Annie. I think. Yeah, and she goes by Annie in this. Yeah. Um, and so they're different, like, Bad B is like a, this passionate redhead war god. Probably going to kill you. Kind. Probably going to kill you, yeah. Uh, Annie seems to be pleasant enough. Um, but yeah, the Morgan is generally the one you want around from what I can tell. So something real quick on the second panel of this entire comic. So the first panel of the second page. Um, Uh so later when we meet Dionysus, Laura and Dionysus act like they met each other here. And every time I read this, I'm like, what, why does she recognize him from there? Like he, was he there? Like I never see him, but in the author's notes at the end of the hardback, if you look at the image and you see Laura and you see a guy with a beard right behind her, that's supposed to be Dionysus. Okay. So that's what the back of the book said, because I had to go. I was just like, every time I've read this, it's bothered me because I'm like, I don't remember seeing you there. And I guess it's because he has a lot more hair here and it's hard to tell. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So he's got the earring there and whatnot. You're talking about the one immediately to her right with the tattoo no, on No, I'm talking about the one right behind her. Oh, like if, okay. you, if you see her hair and there's like yeah. a dude who's like looking kind of downward and he's got a beard and a full head of hair, that's yeah. supposed to be Dionysus, according to the back of the book. OK. Um, yeah, well, interesting. So um, so in this time, though, uh, we find out that Laura. Uh, I mean, I guess like we find out that Woden is misogynistic and into Asian women only, like I think just by a reference. Uh we found out that Minerva is like a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that Inanna is nice, but not much else, mm. you know, and uh, and that there's still 10 gods living, according to the circle. Um, that's about, is there's, that what happens in this? Yeah, there's a couple of things that stood out to me into this comic. Um, I, at one point, someone asks Laura where her ideas come from, and she says desperation, which I feel is just like, or she sa- she asks herself, where do our ideas come from? And she says desperation. And I feel that's true of a lot of things in life. Uh, not just Laura, all of us. <laughs> um, but then when she's, um, she's doing her Shakespeare in the dark, if she will, she says yeah. the underworld's a stage and we are playing badly. And that's kind of like, no, no, no. Morgan says the underworld's a stage and we are playing badly after the Shakespeare in the dark. And I'm not going to say much about it, but knowing the Morgan and Baphomet's backstory based on a later issue, that makes complete sense that that would be the thing that would knock them back into sense. Uh, Because kind of the idea of play acting um, with them, it's it's just a brilliant line to me. Um, Of course, we have Annie bring someone back to life, which is uh, important, I think. Um, Yeah. And then we're learning there are powers beyond snapping people's heads off. Right. You know. Right. Uh, and then there was one more line that I'm not sure I wrote down who said it, which is weird. 
I put Ananke question mark. Uh, oh, Lucy must say it. She says, uh, oh, she says about Ananke, she's disappointed in me. She knows more than we do, but this doesn't, does, doesn't seem very her. And that line struck me as, despite the fact that she's a god, despite the fact that she is the devil, you know, she's Lucifer in Christian mythology, she is very naive. <laughs> yeah. Like, because she's a teenager. Because she's a teenager. Um, I also, yeah. Ball and Ayana, Ayana, Ayana. Uh, in my head, it's Inanna, but, what, but whatever it is. That's yeah. mentioned in this comic that they've had a fight. And that fight's never seen on screen. And it's something right. that comes up multiple times in the comic. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it becomes a kind of a, a clinch point for a lot of the characters' motivations. Um, and then, of course, there's the last page, which is a power pose from Ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, one of the interesting things too, is you'll find that a lot of the characters, not you'll find a lot of the characters, their teenage life, their human life coincides with kind of how their mythological life is. So like, for instance, um, Lucy, uh, especially in issue four, when Laura interviews her, so I guess going into that, um, like we've seen the actual Pantheon, we've, we meet Woden, he looks like, uh. Guy Imam Manuel or Guy Manuel Imam de Cristo, I think is his name from Daft Punk. He's one of the two Daft Punk guys. He's the one with the gold helmet, but he's super sketchy from the get go. Like you know that this guy is just not somebody you want around um, from the get go. Uh, but then Laura interviews Lucy, and Lucy claims that she didn't kill the judge, and therefore Laura is now the only person who believes Lucy aside from us. Because mm-hmm. um, we we don't know who did it, but we're pretty sure Lucy didn't because you know. She looked pretty darn surprised. This is also the comic that solidifies that Cassandra is a main character and that Cassandra and Laura are working together. Because yes. while Laura is the Uber fan and Cassandra is the Uber skeptic, ultimately Cassandra is the only person Laura can really trust about this. She knows Laura wasn't the one who did it. I mean, she knows Cassandra. Laura knows. Whatever. That made sense in my head. Cassandra knows that Lucy didn't do it. Yes. Well, Cassandra doesn't believe any of them are capable of doing anything like that. <laughs> um, so one of the interesting things is what I was getting at and then kind of lost the thread of uh, the thread of is that uh, in this, Lucy expresses a great distrust for parents and continually does. And if you think about it, that fits both Lucy, as we find out later with her relationship with her human parents, um, it fits Lucifer and God, um, and it fits Lucifer and Ananke, too. Uh, if you so, it's kind of like a this deep thread with Lucy as a character. It was just like, yeah, you you know, for whatever reason, you and your parents are just not going to get along. Um, which uh, supernatural? Yes, it did. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Obvious reference back to supernatural, but um, yeah. So uh, and then at the end of this issue, Lucy breaks out. Yeah. No. 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 Next issue, Lucy breaks out. Oh, okay. But at the beginning of the next issue, the pentagram is no longer behind bars. So I guess you no, assume it is. That Wait, are we on issue five or issue four? Yeah, issue five. Issue four is when Laura interviews Lucy. Issue four is when Laura goes to the Pantheon. Yeah, she goes to the Pantheon, but she also interviews Lucy. Oh, or we? is that when? The, Maybe I, I thought we issue. were on a different issue. It, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so but yeah, yes. at the end of issue four, Lucy breaks out. Um, uh, yeah, so I guess 
Ball comes and gets them. We learn an issue four, just to go over a couple of things. Uh, Cassie, we learn, we learn Cassie, there's no Cassie. We learn that one of Cassandra's people like betrayed her to Ball, um, which becomes important later, even after this hardback. Um, and uh, I just love the whole scene where uh, Laura enters the Pantheon and she says, I am made a fail. My superpower is fail. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and then, oh, Lucy says something about Laura at the end that is, uh, oh, ye of too much faith, which I think is, uh, she says it to Laura, but I feel like it's true of both of them. Because I feel like Lo- Lucy had too much faith in Ananke, too. Yeah. But that's a pretty, too much faith in Ananke is a uh, <laughs> common thread in this. So one thing that's really interesting about issue five is the cover. Which one? It five is. It's the one that it's Lucy Tara. had just broken out, and the cover is Tara. Every issue before this, the cover has been a character who's a major focus of that issue, and in this one, Tara is mentioned on the first page, but beyond that, she's not. But I think knowing what we know about Tara later, I think that kind of what goes on in this issue is kind of related to Tara's emotional state in general. And I just think that's kind of an interesting foreshadowing on the cover. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, going into that. Um, so Lucifer is out and about, she's wreaking destruction, uh, while drinking coffee and, you know, listening to her earbuds because she's Lucifer. Uh, that's what she does. And basically, Laura and Cassandra are there and they're kind of trying to stop her, but the police won't let them because they're not gods. But then Ami tries to stop her, but then ball fight shows up. And now we have this fight between the gods and Sakmet. Sakmet is that how you say it? Is there Uh Sakmet, I guess would be the, the way that I would say it, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> and they, they're basically all fighting, uh, Lucifer, um, and yeah, I, I actually have a line here. When Amy is trying to talk Lucy down, ball punch Lucy, smash. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, and there's, I, yeah. There's something to me that when uh, Lucifer says, uh, I'd rather go back, uh, I'd rather die than go back. And Ami says, You sound like them. And the them is like bolded. Who are them? I don't know. It kind of like alludes to me that there's some greater thing or something that we I still just don't know assumed about. assumed she was talking about like the underworld god people. Really? That that was my assumption. I mean, I now that I'm, I guess there's not a real good reason for me to think so, but that's what my brain just jumped to mm. on that. Like to, to the Morgan and, uh, and Baphomet. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But um, to solve this fighting problem, Laura does. She uh, shows the courage to get the Morgan from the subway. So she goes to the underworld, basically. Um, uh, kind of interesting thing, too, is that these two, they're totally, while everybody else is above ground being like pop stars, they're like being underground literally. stars. Like literally, but also like that's what they're modeled after. Also, this comic has no subtlety at all. Oh, not no subtlety. It doesn't thrive on subtlety. It has subtle elements for sure when you go and reread, but man, it hits you over the head with a lot of other symbolism, and it's great for it. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't doesn't pull those punches, and I just love that. Um, so yeah, the underground go- gods are literally underground in the subway, and Laura ventures to 
find them in order to see if the Morgan can break things up. And the Morgan does, and they pull Lu- Laura pulls Lucifer away in a distraction created by the Morgan, and totally has a "come with me if you want to live" moment, though she doesn't say that exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there, she tries. She's basically trying to save Lucifer, saying that the Morgan will keep her hidden underground. But that's not how it goes. Lucifer, as they walk under the door or walk out the door, and Lucy has agreed too. Yes, right? Lucy's going to go yeah. hide underground with the Morgan. And, and then Ananke snaps her fingers. And blows her head up. Right after saying, I love you, Lucifer. Yeah. Uh, it's, the interesting thing, too, is the, even the, the look on Ananke's face is sort of somber. And so when she says that, like, Ananke continues to position herself as someone who's noble, sad, and kind of just doing what needs to be done for reasons that other people can't fathom. Right. And um, right after this, Ananke, like, covers her face. She's, like, sitting on the stoop as if crying. Like, she really makes it seem like it's something she had to do and didn't want to do. And the end of this issue, whew, right? You remember the the particular scene? I mean, I guess you're looking at it. Yes. Yeah. So... <laughs> Laura snaps her fingers and lights a cigarette that, like, giving her and us a reason to think that she's of the Pantheon. And she says, it's not over. Yep. Um, and then we see the logo circle with the pentagram having become a skull. Our so, first dead god. And yep. it's and the interesting thing is that Lucifer is such a central character to these pages, and then she died. Uh, and going into it, like... The characters that were advertised to us who started from before the beginning were Lucifer and Laura. So it was kind of unexpected for Lucifer to die, which I feel like is a theme. And it's something, <laughs> too, that this uh, this whole issue or this whole comic does a really good job of shifting focus. Like, it'll anchor us on particular characters, but it'll move us from characters to character, uh, from character to character. Um, and that continues beyond the 11 issues we're talking about. Does a really good job of that, I think. Um so yeah, going into issue six, uh, which is focuses on Inanna. And has the Lucifer died for our sins t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> which uh, Kelvin, McKelvey and Gillen sold in real life, <laughs> which I'm sure caused a lot of confusion and possible people getting lectured by their parents about, you know. Yes, I, uh, I would not feel comfortable owning that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so Inanna is a Sumerian love, fertility, and war god. Uh, goddess, rather. So it's a she, but she has taken possession of a man and clearly looks like Prince, the uh, the pop star. So, yeah, uh, fun. Um, we find that Laura has been trying to light fire since, like, for months and mm-hmm. can't, um, and is still chasing the gods around, is not done with the fandom. Uh, we find out about an old convention that you alluded to before, Ragnarok, which is just such a great convention name because these are like musicians who are also of the Pantheon and it's Ragnarok with a CK instead of a K because rock music. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, and, and there's a couple of interesting things. Uh, one about I, 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 Nana, uh, <laughs> I, sorry, I cannot pronounce anything. So uh, he told her to dress conspicuously, and then he shows up like totally decked out like a pop star. And she's like, what happened to dress conspicuously? And he's like, this isn't cons- inconspicuous. Uh, I'm sorry, inconspicuously. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, he mentions that he first saw her at Ragnarok, that he was there too. And this was before he was a god. Uh, yeah. And there's an interesting clash at Ragnarok, which is this kind of... Um, common millennial baby boomer clash you see in the news all the time, right? 
where with every generation, yeah, every generation ever, you know, where they're like, your generation doesn't deserve the gods to come, you know, and it's like she stands up to him and he's like, you just basically proved my point, even though I still, uh, they're just, yeah, yeah, they're just talking past each other and being weird. Um, uh, and then we see Inanna's I- conversion. Yes, um, we. Yeah, we also we see him right before the conversion too, and we see that he's pretty boring looking dude with glasses. Mm-hmm. Bowl um, cut beforehand, Classic. he's certainly not Prince. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's really happy afterwards. So, uh, I guess it's and that's the big thing is that it seems like the conversion gives these teens a big sense of identity, and it feels and Laura doesn't feel like she's got it. Right. Right, and that's what she's looking for is her identity, which is pretty common for teenagers. Um, the only other big thing in this comic is their realization that the people who killed uh, the judge were, they, as, as Inanna says, they weren't Christians, they weren't fanatics, they were fans, as in fans yeah, of the gods. They were someone's fans. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there are actually a few other things. So well, we learned that Inanna's powers are teleportation and can get information from objects, it seems like, which is, so again, people's powers are really branching off from each other. They're very different from each other. Uh, we also find out that Lucy's name uh, as a human was Eleanor Rigby, which is the least subtle Beatles reference ever because, you know, Lucy's in the sky now. Um, and uh, Laura, and we also are introduced to Laura's parents, I think, here. No, and we've known Laura's-, Laura's parents for a while. Oh, okay. But I guess this is one we saw, like, an interaction with them where it's, like, clear they really, really love her. Like, she's got really loving parents, uh, even if they have a hard time interacting with each other. Because she's a teenager and very angsty. Um, she is super angsty. And at the end of this issue, she Laura decides to hit Twitter with an offer to be at cons and stuff. And so, since she was on the news as there when Lucifer died, she has a lot of fans now. Yeah. Um, so we go into the next issue, which is about Woden, who's just... Uh, my my note is Woden-ug is what <laughs> I have as my notes. But I also feel like Woden is like so true to who a lot of six, not that I'm saying he's 16, but who a lot of 16 year old boys would be if they were suddenly turned into a God. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have in this, uh, we'll, we'll get to, so there, there's a line for, um, when in this issue where Laura and I think, and Cassandra are talking, Cassandra says, this is fandom, not many angry white guys in fandom. Like, and I think they're trying to talk about, they're you being know, sarcastic. How, yeah. yeah, yeah, she's being super sarcastic. They're trying to figure out who could possibly have done this. And, you know, Woden would be one of the angry guy, fa- uh, angry white guys in fandom if he wasn't one of the gods himself, you know. Um, he also totally pulls the nice guys finish last card, which no person who's genuinely a nice guy has ever said. Um, you know, like, it, it's a, he is very much kind of the stereotype of, of guys who see themselves as the victim. Mm-hmm. And it is really really painful to read because man there's a lot of that out there uh one thing in this issue that i really like is something you see a lot from mckelvey and uh and gillen is there's a a set of pages that are the map of the convention that's annotated by laura uh, Mm -hmm. that gives a lot of information and boy are there a ton of puns on this page and i just really appreciate that it's so great there's so many puns (laughs) in the comic too Uh, uh, god i need coffee uh ball you can eat buffet uh, <laughs> Inanna and Outburgers. <laughs> it's just, oh, gosh, it's so great. Uh, and something else we 
seeing here for the first time is that Minerva is the only one with parents that, as far as we know, are still involved in her life. Uh, uh, and they're also a little gross. Though, like. to be fair, I, I think Laura is pretty charitable about them, which uh, is that their daughter's going to die in two years. As far as we know, she is their only kid. And while, yes, they're super gross about it, you know, if they only have her for two more years, they're trying to, they're, they are super taking advantage of it, but you could kind of see people would do that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see it. It's gross in a believable way. <laughs> it's yeah. still gross, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is they are definitely taking advantage of it. Like, knowing that your daughter's going to be famous and is going to die, like, I mean, there's a certain part of it that you're going to be around, but it's very clear that they're like, well, how can we maximize our, turn, our return on investment, essentially? Yeah. Except as we'll see later, with. Minerva still loves them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Minerva's great. She's adorable. So he now we have to talk about Woden's disturbingness. Yeah, so um, we are introduced to Brunhilde, an ex of Valkyrie, who, if anybody doesn't know, she is the fat lady in the It Ain't Over Till the Fat Lady Sings um, line uh, because of the opera Twilight of the Gods, I think is the name of the opera. But who she has like a long cycle. What? It's all part of the ring cycle. Yeah. Wagner. Um, But she's got a, I think like a 20 minute long uh, thing, like, where she sings for like 20 minutes before the end of the show. So that is where that phrase comes from. But uh, yeah. She's so. not fat in this. No, no, she's not <laughs> fat in this. A lot of people have taken on very different physical aspects from their traditional appearances or for whatever reason. But Well, she's uh, Asian and like tall because that's what... Uh, because Woden is... Super racist ugh. and... Super racist and misogynistic and... Yeah, yeah. So he has these Valkyries and he can give his Valkyrie power to anybody because it's basically a super powered suit, but he only gives it to tall, lovely, shapely Asian women. Yes. Who he wants to bang. Yes. (laughs) That is the, um, there's nothing romantic about this. No, there is nothing, nothing in the slightest. They are generally grossed out by him as well, but Hey, they wanted the power. And so that she's still, it. you know, the thing about Brunhilde, she's up here saying these horrible things about Woden that I believe are all true. But then oh, when Woden offers her the power again, she would immediately go back. Yeah, they're not great. Like, they're not good people either. They just don't deserve him. Like, you know. Well, so. I, I agree with that. But it also makes me wonder, like, what is this? Like, the power has got to be more than a suit. Right. It's it's got to be this, you know, part of it is that feeling of belonging, of not being alone. I think there's a lot like whatever he offers them is somehow worth this degradation and awfulness and like disturbing life to Brunhild. Yeah. Um, there's also so uh, we know that Brunhild tries to. So in this, she tries to assassinate Woden. Um, which we find out about the, uh, what's the name of it? The Prometheus Gambit. Yeah, the Prometheus Gambit named after Prometheus, which is a really weird name after it because Prometheus succeeded, right? So yes. I guess that would be why people would. Anyways, <laughs> um, but yeah, the Prometheus Gambit is the idea that if for whatever reason, and we don't really have a reason to believe it's true or false in this case, but the idea being if you kill a god, you get their power. Um, and so Brynhilda is trying to kill him and Minerva stops it. And feels terrible about it and because she hurt somebody. Also, I love how protective Ball is of Minerva. Yeah. Basically, all of them are protective of her, which is nice to see. It's like, hey, you know, they may be 
irrational and irresponsible teenagers, but at least they know to look after the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Woden also doesn't know how to keep his mouth shut. No. Uh, and he says all kinds of things to incriminate himself, because keep in mind, this whole time we're still trying to figure out who killed, like, you know, who killed the judge. And who tried to assassinate the, uh, like, whose fans tried to kill these gods in the first place, you know? And Woden is not helping himself look innocent at all. Um, he's not innocent. No, he's not. But, but, uh, but you know, if he were smarter, he would just keep quiet. <laughs> so, um, but he's not very smart. Um, and I guess, is that, that it until we're, we see Dionysus at the end? Uh, no, uh, so Baphomet comes and gets Laura and takes her down into the underground. And, uh, one of the lines he says that's, um, about why, and, and Bab or Bad B, whatever, is doing karaoke, which is hilarious. Uh, and, uh, he's like, why did, she's like, why did you bring me down here? And Baphomet says to Laura, you're in hell, you need company, which foreshadowing so much, uh, yes. so much. But the first time you read that, that, you know, it doesn't necessarily strike you that way. And we won't be able to explain in these 11 issues why that's foreshadowing, because that goes beyond that. But just know, foreshadowing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then we meet, uh, that we see the flyer for Dionysus. Exactly. Uh, Which takes us to issue eight. Oh, Dionysus. Ah... So Dionysus would be super creepy if he wasn't such a nice guy. Yeah, he is so nice and so pleasant to talk to. But yeah, I mean, his power is basically LSD, right? Not just LSD, but like LSD hive mind. Yes, he, he's got <laughs> portals, mind control, throw crazy raves because he can just get you out. But that said, like, he's super nice and he's super into, um, uh, what's it called, um, when you ask people's permission, um, consent, consent. Yeah. Super into consent, which is cool. He's like, all you have to do is say the word and you're out of the party, like immediately and, and stuff like that, which is nice. <laughs> nice to see. Um, yeah. The thing yeah. he says later, and I think it's towards the end, but it describes him really well is he says, uh, in two years, I'll be gone. Even if they forget the details, they'll remember having, they'll, they'll remember being happy for one night. Uh, that's not a small thing to make each other's lives better. That's all we can do. The end is coming faster than we, and then he gets sucked back into the party. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, he's really, really likable. That said, you could suspect him of being, you know, I mean, the dude can, has mind control and stuff, except then you find out that he wasn't a god yet back right. when stuff started. So, um, so it kind of keeps him innocent. You generally want to think that he's kind of like Inanna and that is like, yeah, there's not really much that's sketchy going on about his motives. Right. And then this uh, one also has Cassandra not hearing the music. Yeah. And that's when she yells is like, what are you dancing to? There's no music. Uh, it's pretty hilarious. What's, um, go ahead. Uh, all the gods are at this party, which I also think is super interesting. Mm-hmm. They're all there dancing and presumably part of this hive mind for this little bit. Um, there's another thing that's another allusion to uh, Terra. Uh, one of them says Minnie, meaning Minerva, is doing the full Terra, upset as all hell, which kind of indicates even more about who this mysterious Terra is, um, which will be dis- figured out in a much later issue that we won't be discussing today. Um, yeah. Um, there's also, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean... The way that everybody reacts to this is 
pretty creepy. Uh, or is pretty weird. Uh, of course, you have the the conversation between Woden and Cassandra about something. Yes. Um, and we don't know what. Yeah. Uh, also, super interesting is the coloring of everybody at the party. Yeah. So, uh, like you know, most of the group is pink, but then all the gods have some color, different colors. Laura has a similar color to uh, Amy, and then Cassandra is just non-colored, um, which makes sense for her, I guess. Because she's not part of the party. Right. Um, so it's, it, it makes you wonder, is like, well, does that mean that Laura is going to be one of the gods? Because there's still a spot left. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I guess, is that basically... Uh, there's two other things. Uh, one, Laura thinks Dionysus has the best gift, but then he's gift... But then oh, he yeah. says, uh, I haven't been alone in my head for two months, plus I don't sleep. And we see, like, super bloodshot eyes. So, to me, that kind of goes back to the, maybe the reason why this is only they can do it for two years is because some of them couldn't survive longer anyway. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, and um, then at the end, uh, basically, Ball picks uh, Laura up and... Uh, takes her home if you know what i mean yeah she asks she asks your home or mine and he says says something to the effect of whichever you'd like uh my uh, my final note is uh laura and ball sitting in a tree k-i-s-s-i-n-g yeah and more my notes are very <laughs> uh, eloquent yeah yes <laughs> um as you said they bang <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> No romance, just just teenagers. Yeah. Um, so issue then, nine has a Nanke's face on it. It does, um, which is interesting, and it tells us a lot. Uh, She's still we, super creepy looking. She is so creepy. Uh, Cassandra plays a big part in this, <laughs> if, uh, if I can understate it. Uh, so one of the things that's interesting of this is, so we have uh, a Nanke, you know, Basically, like, cuddling Minerva, because Minerva's all sad. But then Baphomet shows up, and uh, he kind of teases Minerva, and she yells at him and makes him cry. Uh, And then Minerva is upset, and you kind of realize how young they all are. Even though Minerva seems tiny compared to Baphomet, he's not that old. Yeah, he's a few years older than her, you know? And then Ananke does the most over-the-top, calculated, stupid, like... Oof. Like, it's not stupid because it's part of her plan. But this was the one that I read this and I was like, she's, she's doing she's this on guy. purpose. <laughs> yeah, she's she's deliberately setting them apart. She Like, the line is, uh, so she refers to the Prometheus Gambit, right? Mm-hmm. And she says, the Prometheus Gambit, the idea that a mortal may kill a god to steal their powers is a lie. It doesn't work. Wishful thinking for the immortal and greedy. A death god killing a god, however? And so she's basically, she's setting him up to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I, it, 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 this is where the veil comes off. She we basically now, pushes uh, him to kill someone. Like, yeah. And Baphomet, you know, the only way he falls for this is by being a naive teenager. Like, yeah. anyone else would be like, wow, that's super obvious. Why would you even tell me this? Like, unless you want me to kill someone. Yep, yep. Um, then, so Cassandra comes up and is obnoxious again. As per <laughs> usual. Oh, man. She, like, gets on my nerves in such a delightful way. (laughs) Um, Because I'm, like, annoyed by her for everyone else every time (laughs) she talks. Uh, 
but yeah, she basically just talks about how Baphomet is insignificant and most uh, most of the time people don't really consider him a real god. Um, yeah. Which, knowing what we know about Baphomet is, uh, I would say, close to the hit the insecurities. Yeah, it hits, to- totally hits home. Um, anyways, so Cassandra gets pulled in. Uh, it looks like Cassandra, so Woden was... Does not. It, I mean, one of the, my suspicions before was that Wooden was trying to get Cassandra to be a Valkyrie, but not so. <laughs> um, she and gave yeah. her access to uh, uh, Ananke. Yes, and so Ananke tells this mythological story, and I think there's a lot of things in here. First off, my assumption is this is the story Ananke tells all the gods. Uh, that there is this dark and there is light and we are fighting the darkness and we are the inspiration against the darkness. And without us, humanity would have no, you know, nothing. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know if this is true. Yeah, this she's is now an unreliable told. narrator. Right. Uh, it could be true. Um, but now knowing what Ananke told Baphomet, uh, even if, let's say what she told Baphomet was true and she was trying to like, you know... Is that how Ananke stays alive? She kills all the gods every 90 years? Maybe, yeah. Or uh, at the same time, there's also the fact that Ananke herself is a primordial force rather than a god, so maybe... At least that's she's what she's not, told yeah. them. Well, uh, that's what her name implies, too. I mean, like, if her name is even the real thing. but Right. We have no yeah. idea. She indicates that at one time she was one of them, and she was chosen somehow to stay behind and given right. some extra power. That means she lost all of her powers to inspire, uh, to uh, guide the gods, because without her guidance, they wouldn't know what to do, um, which might be true. For all we know, all of this is true, and Ananke is just doing what she has to do, because if she doesn't kill them within two years, uh, the darkness wins. For example, and keep in mind, in this context, of course, she tells the story, but we haven't seen anything except for these teenagers acting really weird and we stuff like that. We no haven't seen darkness. anything for them to fight. Yeah, yeah. we've seen yeah. no darkness for them to fight. Um, so it's all very weird. And then it ends with you were always a difficult one. Well, so before that, before that, um, we have some of the most meta lines in the entire comic. Um from Ananke, like, what is it? Uh, there is no one in the story who has not got a raw deal. Mm-hmm. It is a pretty great line um, and true. And then there's also a, she's talking to, um, what is it? She's talking to, what's her name? Cassandra. To Cassandra with this whole thing. And she says, uh, it's a poor critic who says that a lack, uh, a lack of effect on them implies all others are insincere in their love. Yep. And um, that's a pretty big, I mean, I think it's a poor critic is a great line. I think that, you know, takes a lot of the time whenever people are critiquing anything, people are like, oh, well, you know, this didn't have this effect on me and therefore it's not effective at doing this. It's like, well, maybe you're the exception. Um, It doesn't mean that it is inherently bad at doing it. So I I really enjoyed that line just in terms of a meta, from a meta perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, so going into what you were going into. Yeah, so at the end of the conversation, um, Ananke says, the 12th god is always a difficult one. You were always a difficult one. And suddenly she converts, or whatever, Cassandra into mm-hmm. a god. I, yeah, and so she is Erder, one of the Norse Norns. Uh, and I think Erder is specifically the one representing fate. 
So, which is just such a good pairing. If you think about her name is Cassandra, she doesn't believe things, uh, or she doesn't believe the things, and other people won't listen to her. And now she's also one a goddess, a goddess of fate. <laughs> you know, it's just such a neat interconnectedness of like her human name combined with her who you know her god form is, and so on. And uh, so, um, but then there always have to be three Norns. So her two camera people. Uh, or her texts are converted as well, but all three of them only count as one God. Right. Which I uh, think is really interesting, especially considering Baphomet. Uh, yes. So, yeah. Um, and Maybe also, we'll save some slightly more spoilery discussion for the very end, so we won't talk about that now. <laughs> right. Um, also super neat is uh, that Yggdrasil, the, the world tree, shows up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I was... It doesn't show up beforehand, or at least we can't see it beforehand, and then suddenly is there. So it's like with Erder coming out, so does the the World Tree, which is super cool to mm-hmm. me. Um, and I love that you know, Cassandra's still been she's been turned into a god, but what what does she say? Uh, it's it's still and forgive my language. I apologize. I'm reading the thing. She says it's still bullshit, even if everything is true. I'm going to open everyone's minds. I'll show them all. There are no messiahs. And that's just like, you are a god. <laughs> and she's still herself, right? Like, Yeah. So it's like she has this vendetta because she's a stubborn, stubborn, stubborn person. And so now she's like, okay, I can't deny that all this exists. But what I can say is that it's not a value. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and it's just kind of like that moving the goalposts, if you would, as far as where the, the discussion is. Um and that's what she's trying to say is like, fine, they exist, but they're not important and no one should pay attention to them is what, you know, is kind of what she's trying to, the stance she's trying to take now. So, yeah. And then, um, Ananke says, uh, it's good that you're all here. I've missed you. I've missed you all. The Pantheon is complete. Once again, we return. And it's interesting to me that she says this, that the Pantheon is complete. Cause I know what she means. They've all been found, but Lucifer is dead. Right. So they were never all there at the same time. Mm hmm. Uh, And then the comic ends with Laura being super upset because as far as she knows, that means the Pantheon is complete. There will be no more gods. Yep. 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 That means she's Um, not one. Bum, bum, bum. mm Mm-hmm. And then we're introduced to, so issue 10 has Fomit. Uh, Uh, And so he goes and he's doing his... Well, what's interesting about this is the first page of this alludes to what we know about Baphomet and Morgan from later issues is that um, she, he says, not now Marion, which is her real name, which we just learned, or uh, I'm not feeling playful. Don't pretend to care. You doomed me. And she says, I doomed you because I cared. This is all you ever wanted. Uh, And yeah, all the feels, all the thoughts. Spoiler thoughts. <laughs> um, ugh, there's a lot in this. Uh, so I'm thinking uh, next, I guess uh, Cassandra finds out, knows who the fanatics were. Because mm-hmm. she's the Norns. She can do that kind of thing. Yep. Um, she gives her first concert. Yes. And Baphomet, who doesn't like Cassandra, attacks her. And the Morgan, who basically knows what he's going to do, because, Yeah. Uh, she stops yeah. him. Yeah, their, their relationship is super weird. 
Mm-hmm. And they basically run away from Ananke. And this is our first hint. Ananke basically acts like she's going to kill Baphomet, right? Because he attacks or whatever. And uh, Morgan says no. And she takes him to the underground. And there's this assumption that the Ananke cannot follow and cannot do anything about them in the underground. Yeah, that's what it seems like. That's what it feels like, I guess. And, and that's just backed up by later issues of this comic, right? That in the underground, that's where they were going to take Lucifer. That's where she takes Baphomet. Later things happen in the underground. And it seems like in the underground, Morgan is all powerful. Yep. Um, we also have a little, what a, like a little bit of a breakdown from Cassandra. Right. Am I, am I remembering yes. that? Correctly? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, of course, this whole thing, what we were just talking about with her is like her constantly wanting to argue, argue this down. But she sees like every time she tries to tell everybody that it's not important, it's just bringing more fans in. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not listening to her. Right. Which is Cassandra, right? She's telling them the truth and they're not listening. Yeah, absolutely. And, And it's really nice, too, to see just Laura continue to be a person who is heavily flawed, but also compelling because she is clearly still Cassandra's friend. Mm hmm. Um, and tries to comfort her and so on. Um, so that's really nice. Um, yeah, and then uh, at the very end, we get that uh, what it, that Baphomet is going after Inanna. Yeah, right? yeah. So um, I think, is that everything in this issue? Pretty much. There, there's some oh. little things, but overall, uh, you know, it's, it's more uh, small details rather than huge events. Uh, Ball tries to make he tries to go up to Ainana and uh, talk to him, and Ainana disappears before he can, and that's only important because of what happens later. Because the next yep. issue start starts with the cover of an exploded head, <laughs> and we don't know who's. <laughs> so that's yeah, not at all disturbing. And this is the final issue that we're talking about, so a lot. <laughs> A lot happens here. A lot happens, um, and yet nothing happens. Like, it's just a few big things happen. Yes, a few big things happen, and a lot gets wrapped together, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it starts not with Baphomet attacking Inanna, I, Inanna, right. I, whatever, uh, but rather Laura coming home, being all depressed because she's not a god, and, you know, no one gets a happy mendi- ending, uh, but she's still kind of determined to be a friend to all these gods who are doomed. And then she gets to her house, and Ananke is there, and it's kind of threatening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anna, uh, but we don't know why. Right now, Ananke has no reason that we know of as the reader at this point to be threatened by Laura, because as far as she knows, Laura is just the friend to everyone else. And maybe, maybe Ananke is a nice guy and is going to bring Laura in on how to best take care of doomed gods, or maybe other things are going to happen. Nah. Yep. Yeah. So, ugh. um, so yeah, we have the, I mean, I guess one of the things too, is that when the uh, Ananke goes to meet Laura here, uh, a lot of mirroring between that and her meeting with Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, you know, it's in their backyard and so on. And I think were both of them going out for cigarettes. Uh, at the end. No, uh, uh, Lucy came out because she saw someone in her backyard. So she came out with oh, a okay. Cool. But I think she was smoking in the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, that's, uh, 
Whew. Uh, so we do, um, when in the issue, man, I have, uh, when in this issue does this, this whole thing, it's at the, it's later in the yeah, issue. Yeah, so okay. there's the middle, whole middle part is the Ainana, uh, Baphomet fight. Uh, yes. Which at this point, it, 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 oh, Anana is like in a church, which is super, uh, disrespectful, Anana, like, whatevs. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, he has like an orgy that he's in charge of, uh, and Baphomet like attacks him, and Anana puts up a uh, super good fight. But then in the end, it seems like Baphomet has him beat, and yeah. uh, it seems to indicate well the whole building blows up, which you know could indicate they both died, could indicate one of them died. Who knows at this point? Who knows? Right. Uh, and then we're flashed over to the conversation again. Done. So, uh, yeah, we get the the line. It's taken so long to find you, which is very confusing, because, yeah. Um. Anyways, so yeah, Nanke is talking to uh, to Laura, and then we find out that she becomes Persephone, which is all the in hell references. <laughs> yes, exactly, because you know Persephone lives in hell. But this is also um, why Ball is attracted to her, right? Because Persephone's thing is both, you know, uh, the seasons, uh, you know, the, the growth of things are associated with uh, Persephone. And, uh, you know, she is Hades' uh, wife. Uh, so it explains why all the underworld gods are attracted to her and why she's comfortable in, like, both places, the underground yeah, and with flowers. Because she is one of the few people who is sort of of both. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What is, so, what is it that uh, uh, Ananke says about here? Child of the sky, betrothed to the darkness. Your mother's tears freeze us all. One part of a two-part mystery. Reunited, separated, separate, forever. So, obviously, this has us all scratching our heads because, you know, you already have 12 gods. So, what is going on? Um, and, yeah. But but he's like, okay, well, we're happy for Laura. We don't know what's going on. Um, we know all the stuff about her background, or most of us know the, the stuff about the background. And if not, it was just spelled out by uh, by Ananke. And um, yeah, and so now we wonder, of course, you start wondering, has it always been possible for there to be more than 12 gods? And there just haven't been for whatever reason. Is somebody else who's a god not supposed to be one? Is this just a thing that Ananke is pulling on Laura? What is, what is going on? Yeah, and I have two theories. It's either that there's always been the possibility of there being more than 12 gods, or it's that Baphomet doesn't count in the yeah. same way that the other two Norns don't count. And I think that those are the two most likely ones, mm -hmm. is that Baphomet doesn't count because of his background. Um, but then... We find that Ananke, yeah, we, you know, well, do you want to talk about this last scene? Sure. So Ananke asks Persephone if she wants to sing because, you know, as all the gods are pop stars, so singing's like their thing, right? And then uh, Ananke's hand comes up behind Laura's or Persephone while she's singing and crying and so happy and uh, snaps. And mm -hmm. all it says on the, the next page is black and it says, I don't remember anything after that. I guess I'm grateful. And then Ananke kills Laura's parents. And this is how the comic ends. And this was how it ended for a long time. 
because there was like a, a really long wait for the next comic and then the next several issues had nothing to do with this. Uh, but Kieran and uh, Kieran McGillan and Jamie McKelvey just killed the main character. They killed our main character. And I cannot express how like <laughs> shocked and like, I was like, where does it go from this? This is the only person we followed like 11 issues of Laura. She finally becomes a God and then they kill her. Yep. Uh, one of the cool things too, is the final page has the eight logos or the, the circle of logos rather. Uh, and it has the two skulls for the two dead gods that we have so far. And the line is it was never going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just a great little line to end on. Um, yeah, so it's insane. Um, and there's a whole bunch of, at this point and just, you know, not getting into spoilers in the future. Like at this point, my whole thing was, okay, there's like, she's really dead or because she's Persephone, she gets to come, you know, like gets sent to the, like, yeah, that's what I was thinking because she was Persephone. I thought maybe she could actually resurrect herself. (laughs) Yeah. And, and maybe that means that. You know, Ananke calculated poorly and she shouldn't have awakened her, you know, um, but or maybe Ananke's powers don't work on anybody who's not a god. I also had the thought um, that that was kind of more charitable towards Ananke, that maybe because Ananke, because Laura was Persephone, maybe she had to kill Persephone so she could come back. Like, I thought maybe that was part of Persephone. Like, that was my slightly charitable thought that, like, she knew Persephone was going to come back. Yeah. But, yeah. (sighs) But anyways, yeah, so a lot going on here, a lot to think that I can no longer trust anything about the, except for the 90 years thing, there's no reason for me to really believe anything that we've heard up Mm -hmm. to this point. Um, And I'm fortunate in that I didn't have to wait the entire time (sighs) that you did. I basically just went straight into issue 13, wondering what the heck is going to (laughs) happen. But yeah, it, it is... Pretty great. I really just love the way that the the way that everything just weaves in and out. All everybody's insecurities go so deep, and they tie into each other, and they're all so similar and immature. But trying to figure things out, we still don't know anything about the greater conflict if it is real to begin with. Yeah, just fascinating. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's basically everything up to this point. If we want to kind of, you know go ahead and ring a tiny spoiler thing so we can talk a little about what's, you know, implications, if not details of what's, um, really the only, we found out since. So I think, so if you've, if you've listened to the first 11 issues, should we say that stop, stop now, if you haven't gone beyond that? Yes. Okay. So stop, stop listening now, unless you've gone beyond the first 11 issues there. I, we didn't reread the issues after this, so we're not going to get into super detailed spoilers, but reading the issues after this, the ones that come immediately after this deal with different individual gods. And of course the most one we know the least about is Tara. And there's a whole issue related to her. And she basically commits suicide via Ananke, but then Ananke doesn't want the world to know. And that still just feeds into this whole, not everyone's happy as a God, uh, which is so interesting. Um, uh, and Ananke keeps again, throwing suspicion on other people. She so- blames Baphomet. She blames because he's become an easy scapegoat. Who we now know has actually killed no one. Yeah, he's killed no one at all. He's done nothing to anyone. Uh, yeah, turns out also though that uh, that the Morgan is it the Morgan who got um, who got I was going to say Persephone, but Laura away. Uh, no, it was Anana. Oh, it was Anana. That's right. Because um, he's the yeah. one she kills. He's, right, right, right. 
So he kills, yeah. So Inanna's dead because Ananke killed him. So basically, um, Inanna and Baphomet came to a peace. And they were right. like, wait, some, Inanna basically makes Baphomet realize, hey, like, you were set up. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. And they go, I, I can't remember if they go to find Laura or Ananke, because they would have reasons to want to find both. Um, but basically, they come along, they save Laura just in time, but Inanna is the one who gets killed. Right. Um, and... Laura's parents come out, think that uh, that it's Laura who's dead, right? And then they die anyway. So and then they leave. die because Ananke is not going to leave any um, anybody. And th- and this is why, though, it makes it a little bit clearer why Ananke gets starts to get so sloppy with setting the people against them. Because uh, before, when I was reading the issues up to that point, I was like, why is she like? If nobody knows what she's done. She can be a little bit more plotting and slower and strategic with this, but she was getting really aggressive with how much she was throwing people at them. He's like, this is why there are witnesses or there's a witness. Yeah. Yeah, Like Persephone and Baphomet both know. Yeah. And Persephone and people have an affection for Persephone. So she might get, uh, get the chance to say what happened. Right. And she doesn't ball and her have a thing like, you know, and Cassandra and her have a thing. And, and, and yeah, I, Ananke can't let them discover Laura is still alive. Right. Um, because then they'll look for her and then they'll know the truth. So going um, back to the individual issues that talk about the different gods, uh, let's go back to Baphomet a little bit and that he was never supposed to be a god. Yes. Uh, yeah, we find out that he was basically because the Morgan was like, please. He's my boyfriend. Know. We're both goth together. And we they basically were super goth and liked to pretend they lived in like a uh, like goth steampunk world. Yeah. Uh, and when the Morgan was converted, she asked for Baphomet to be converted, which is why I think the theory that perhaps Baphomet doesn't count because he's associated with the Morgan the same way the other Norns are. Uh, but we don't know. And if an yeah. Anke can just choose who becomes a god, like, what does that even mean? Yeah. And then, what about Odin's secret Tron girlfriend? <laughs> what, what the heck? What I don't heck? know. I, I really don't know, man. I, I, I am... I've tried Googling. I've tried booking for other people's theories. I have no idea. There's basically a character that looks exactly, exactly like Odin, except pink indicating female and he basically indicates that everything he's doing is like to protect her yeah it is intense i have no idea what's happening anymore (laughs) yeah i i I basically am at the point where everything is just like what is going on uh man i really the problem is like how long are they intending for this thing to go uh they've said and i don't remember what it is but i think it was something like between 30 and 60 issues depending That's going to be painful. I, like, I, I almost wish it was a shorter one so that I knew I would get, you know, a clean sort of explanation of what's going on, what the actual struggle is, if any, uh, has Ananke, maybe there was initially the struggle between light and dark and Ananke has kind of taken it and run with it and sort of made it serve her. Well, um, she's basically made it seem like Persephone is the dark she's made it seem like that way, but we don't buy that. Right. Right. There's no so, way if Laura is the dark side, uh, then, uh, <laughs> then probably the light side is wrong. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's so many questions, but if you're actually made it to this far and you've not, you know, 
read any of this and he just got spoiled on everything. Uh, it's so it's got so many questions, but it's so good in its questions. It's so good, and honestly, the implementation and like you can know the spoilers for the plot, and it's not going to make it any less awesome to read. Mm-hmm. It's really really good. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, I highly recommend sticking with it. If you have read a little bit and maybe you read the first 11, we're fine with some more spoilers to see if you wanted to stick with it. But yeah, highly recommend going through it because I got grabbed by the end of issue 11 and it has not let me go since. I mean, I read it as soon as the issue is available every oh, week yeah. or every month. So, so yeah, super glad that I'm reading this. Um, and yeah, I guess I don't really have any, anything else on the topic right now. I got nothing, man. I don't know what's happening anymore. I just know I'm along for the ride till the end. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so thanks for listening. And, um, you know, stay tuned for the next podcast, which should go up in another couple of weeks. Uh, until next time, and you can follow us on Twitter at TrivCrucial. You can follow Mandy at Brown underscore Aja. And you can follow me at Auhim. That's A-U-H-I-M. And uh, you can go to the website at triviallycrucial.com. Peace.